Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. We are beginning our Easter series today, and I've titled it from the, or the journey from slavery to freedom. Because this is the season of Easter that, we, that God wants to do things in our lives and wants to remind us of what he has for us. And this Easter season is a time that we remember, yes, what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished, that he came to save us, to redeem us, to give us a new start. Yes, that's what Christianity is all about. That's what it's all about. That he rose from the dead. And I'm grateful, I'm grateful that as Christians we don't go and pay homage to some bone somewhere and be like, that's our savior, right? It's empty, he's risen, he's alive, and he lives in our lives. And that's what Christianity is about. But I want to approach Easter differently this year. Me personally, and I believe what God has for us as a church, he wants to do something in this season. He wants to do something brand new in our lives And it doesn't matter where you are on your journey with God. God wants to do something new in all of us this Easter season. Not just, it's not just about through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, but also it's for you to be, to understand that you are a part of God's epic, huge story from the very beginning. God has had a plan for you. God has purpose for you. And Easter is, is where God made a way for you to receive and walk in that promise and walk in those things that are available to you. But many times we don't fully understand what that means. When we look into Easter, you begin to see some hints of a, of a larger, bigger, epic story than maybe sometimes we realize. And we see hints of God's larger story actually right before Jesus went to the cross. The night he was betrayed, Thursday, crucified on Friday. The night before he was arrested and beaten, we find in the Bible that with his disciples, Jesus observed what's called Passover. It's a Passover meal. And the purpose of that Passover meal was to remember what God did when he delivered the Hebrews or the Jews or the Israelites out of slavery, the slavery of Egypt, into freedom, to become a nation. And really that whole meal was all about remembering. It was about stop and remember, stop and remember. And Jesus and his disciples would have done this every year for as far back as they can remember. They, they were Jewish and they celebrated Passover every year. And now they're adults and they're still celebrating it. But during this meal with Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, Jesus said some things about himself that you, we have to say just for a moment, say, hang on, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? What is Jesus saying to us? And he said things about himself that they had never heard before. He said things about the Passover meal that they had never heard before. All the years that they've been doing Passover, they could probably just do it by memory. It's just, just because they were so used to it, this night was different. And so Jesus, as they took Passover, as he gathered the apostles and they reclined at the table in Luke 22, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. 
After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They'd never heard this before. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup and the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is really, if we're not careful, we, we miss some, some things here that are going to be revolutionary to our lives. For the disciples, they didn't understand what he was saying. What, what, what do you mean? He's saying about suffering and the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, about the bread being his body, about the wine being his blood and this cup. What, what are the, the cup of the new covenant? Well, aren't we under Moses' covenant? Aren't we under uh, Abraham's covenant? What, what, I, I don't understand. And they didn't understand the significance of what Jesus was about to do, what he was actually saying about himself. He was saying what he was going to do. He was saying how from this night on, this meal will never be the same. And he was talking about things that they, they did not understand. It's much like how we don't understand the Passover and what God was saying about his eternal purpose and plan for our lives today. God was saying something about your life thousands of years ago when he instituted the Passover, and we'll look at that today. From the beginning of time, he had a plan for you. From the beginning of time, he was making a way for you to walk in everything he has for you. You've been in God's mind before, actually, as we heard about these children, before we were ever in our mother's womb, God was like, I've got a plan. And that plan for your life is articulated so beautifully and powerfully in the statements of Passover. So to observe Passover, you, you need a lamb that is without defect. You need bread you, without yeast. You need hyssop. But there are four, also four statements, four cups that you drink wine from, either, either four individual cups or you drink four times. Doesn't matter. The point is there were four times that you drink. And during the Passover, they would read through this particular passage out of Exodus 6, and there were four statements about your life, four statements about what God wants to do. And then when they would read it, they would drink a cup of wine to represent each statement in their life. And each statement represents God's plan, just not for them, but God's plan for you. This Easter season is about you understanding in a fresh new way what God has for you. So Jesus would have observed the Passover. He would have read these scriptures out of Exodus. He would have drank the wine with his disciples on those four times on this Thursday, the night before he was crucified on Friday. And the four statements of Passover that, that we're going to lean into over the next several weeks is one is this first statement, I will bring you out from underneath the burdens of the Egyptians. The second I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And I will take you 
as my own people. For 1,400 years, the Jews had been observing Passover to remember the remembrance of God. Now, catch this today. The remembrance of God of delivering the Jews out of Egypt 1,400 years. This meal is about remembering God delivering the Jews out of Egypt. 1,400 years. Every year they did Passover to remember God delivering the Jews out of Egypt. And now Jesus takes this Passover. And he says, now you're to do this to remember me. Like, hang on a second. This is about remembering. Jesus is like, whenever you do this, now do this in remembrance of me. So these four statements are saying something about what Jesus is doing for them, was about to do for us, has done for us. These four statements are about what Jesus wants to do in your life. Jesus was saying, I want you to stop. I want you to remember. I want you to think. When you do this meal, I want you to think about me. What I've made available to you. For us, it's about evaluating, are we walking in these four promises? Are we experiencing these four things in our lives? So over the next five weeks, we're going to look at and remember the Passover. Those four statements, the four cups, the four times that we drink of the wine. And we're going to look and find out what does Jesus want for your life? What does Jesus want for you? Like so many times as Christians in our Christian faith, we forget that God has had a plan for us for a really long time. From the very beginning, and this year, this Easter season, I I want God to fulfill his plan in my life. I want everything that God has for me. It is time. I know for many of us in our lives that God wants to do something new. And I don't know about you, but I need him to move in my life in a way he's never before. Probably the better way of saying that is that I want to surrender my life in a way that God can do something in me he has never done before. And Easter gives me access to everything that God has for me and for you, for your family, and for your life. So Jesus living, dying, being buried, raising from the dead, it's not, it's, it's not some random moment in time. It's not a random invi- uh, event that God stepped into No, 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 the story of Easter is the culmination. It's the fulfillment of the plan of God from the very beginning. And before we rush to Easter morning, I want you to know that God's been orchestrating events, orchestrating people, yes, to save the world, but it's important to know that he's done these incredible supernatural things for you. From the beginning of time, he's, he's orchestrated things because he knew that you could not make it on your own. And so he's been working the circumstances to get these four promises fully aware and active in your life. So today is going to be a little different than normal. I'm going to tell the story. I'm, I'm going to biblically walk us up to the historical account and purpose of Passover. And then we're going to spend the next few weeks leaning into Easter, leaning in 
to what God has. We're going to have a good Friday service that we're, we're, we're going, it's going to be such a beautiful time, powerful time of worship. And let me, let me just encourage you right now, put it on your calendar, good Friday, we're going to be right here and God's going to move in our lives. But we're going to apply these four promises revealed by God through Passover and that he made available to us through the work of Jesus Christ so that we, that we can step out of any area of our life that is in slavery, any area of our life that's in bondage, any area of our life that we lack freedom, could be our minds, could be our emotions, could be our heart, could be our, our, our body, could be our spirit, it could be demonic, whatever area, we are going to walk in the freedom that God has brought us and established for us through his son, Jesus Christ. This Easter is your deliverance season. And I believe it and I feel it in my heart that this Easter is, is no longer are you going to have to just keep dragging this up. God's going to break those chains off of your life this Easter. But he wants you to understand what these mean. So to understand God's great, epic, incredible story, we need to go to the book of Genesis. God, as we know the story, made man and woman, Adam and Eve, in his image with the purpose for a relationship with him. Satan, the enemy of God, deceived Adam and Eve. They sinned, they fell, and sin entered the world. And like a, like a disease, it began to infiltrate and corrupt everything in its path from creation to childbirth to our work. But the most tragic thing is that sin separated us from God. God didn't separate himself, we separated us from him, from a relationship with him. But even in the shattered aftermath of mankind's sin and the, and the, and the stain of it and the stench of it and in the, in the rebellion of our sin, you will see that God in his heart has had a plan. God made a plan. He made a way where there actually seemed to be no way. And we hear glimpses of that plan in the shadow of the devastation of sin in the garden. And God says to Satan, who deceived Adam and Eve to sin, he says some very direct things. He says, from the line of the woman that you deceived will eventually come, be born. One who will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So from, from the beginning of the garden, God's telling Satan, hey, listen, listen. Yeah, you think you want to, just hang on a second. From the line of the woman will come one that you will strike his heel, but he will pop your skull underneath his foot eventually. But that's what he's saying. And so the book of Genesis is the beginning of the realization of God's plan to bring the one God spoke of right here. He will crush your head. Who is this one? And so God, for the purpose of accomplishing this for you, calls a man, chose a man named Abraham, who's married to a woman named Sarah. Now, they did not know God that called them. They did not worship. They, they didn't know who he was. 
or who this God is, but God called them and chose them. And he promised them that they would, through their line, through their, through their children, that God would bring forth a nation of people, a people group with the ultimate purpose. Now catch, hear this today, the ultimate purpose to bring the one through the line to crush the head of Satan, meaning the power of sin, meaning the stain of sin in our lives. He chose a, a, a people group to bring that one through to pay the price for our sins, to bridge the chasm between God and us. And he chose Abraham and Sarah. Now Abraham's name means father of many people. Sarah's name means mother of a nation. And God tells him, you need to leave your current home. And they do, and they obey God. And I'll show you where to go, just start walking. So they do, and by faith they follow God. And God promises, listen to this, he promises to multiply their children as many descendants as the stars of the sky and the grains of sand in the sea. Why? He's going to bring forth the one. But God said, I promise I'm going to do this. But here's the problem. When he told them that, when they told them they were going to be a great nation, when they told them they were going to have many children, there was a problem. They didn't have any children. And the other problem is they were old past the age of childbearing. But they obey God. And by faith, they left their home. They left what they knew. They started following this God that they just heard from for the first time. And they started, by faith, to have a child. They tried. I don't know how long, but all of a sudden, Sarah's got a baby in her womb. She's with child. Now, they did not know the purpose of what God was doing, but God did. God knew, but they didn't. They, they were the, there were some promises to them, but they didn't understand the full scope, the larger picture. And so God gives them a son, and they name that son Isaac. Isaac grows up and has twins. He names them Jacob and Esau. Jacob has an incredible encounter with God and, God, and he wrestles with God. And, and because he wants God's blessing, God blesses him, changes his name to Israel, touches him on the hip, and he walks with a limp. But he had God's blessing, and now his name was Israel. So God honors this man, Jacob. He gives him 12 sons. And his youngest son, his name is Joseph. And Jacob showed so much favor to Joseph that the rest, of, the rest of Joseph's brothers, the other 11, hated him. Hated him. Hated him so much that they faked his death, lied to their dad, sold him into slavery. And Joseph ended up in, in Egypt where he was falsely accused of rape. And he was thrown into jail. But here's the deal. God had a plan. God was working his plan, his purpose, from the garden to fulfill what he said he was going to do. So, yes, God had a plan. Yes, God, there was favor on Joseph's life, but hang on a second. That favor on Joseph's life was not about Joseph. It was about the plan of God that would bring forth the Savior that would save you and would bring you into a relationship with God. You have been in the heart and the mind of God. That's why he's working all of this. 
His hand is on Joseph because Joseph is from the line of Abraham and the bloodline of Abraham would later come Jesus. And God, through these incredible circumstances, elevated Joseph from, from the pit of slavery to jail to being Pharaoh's second man in charge of all of Egypt. It's from this position that God uses Joseph to prepare Egypt and the surrounding nations that a famine is coming. Devastating famine. And at one point, Joseph's brother, you know, the 11 that, uh, that knocked him around and, and sold him into slavery, they show up. 20 years had passed. And they come. And Joseph sees them. Now they're coming for assistance. They don't recognize Joseph. He looks like an Egyptian. But he recognizes them. And he eventually reveals himself to them, and he has them come and live in Egypt to have provision for the family, to preserve them. Why did God do that? Because he was making sure the line of Abraham that he chose to bring forth the one was taken care of. Because Pharaoh loved Joseph, that he elevated him. Joseph was, he was a man of excellence. He loved Joseph's family. And he told Joseph's family, hey, come, you can choose wherever you want to live in my kingdom. And so they chose a place called Goshen. Goshen is green. You can, they're, they're shepherds, and so it works perfect for them. And so there's about 70 descendants of Abraham. 70 descendants. So they moved to Goshen. They weren't the nation that they thought maybe they would be. They had heard promises. Well, we're supposed to be a great nation. There's 70 of us. And now they're living in someone else's nation, but at least they have land. But it wasn't theirs. They had been promised they would become a nation. They had been promised by God that they would be multiplied. Joseph knew this, actually, because before Joseph died, he asked his family, hey, listen, when, we, when I die and when we go to the nation, to the land God's going to give us, take my bones with you. Joseph knew this is not it. The people knew this is not it. So, but many years went by, and so the Hebrews, the, the Jewish people, from the line of Abraham had increased in number. They were good at making babies, like we saw this morning. And so they had a lot of kids. Those kids had a lot of kids. And it was almost as like they were multiplying. And man, they were, they were growing as a nation. So, so now you have a growing, multiplying nation within the nation of Egypt. And so the years have gone by now. Joseph has died. Different pharaohs have come to power and died. And now there is a pharaoh who knows nothing about Joseph, knows nothing about these people. And he's threatened by them. One, they're different. Two, they're multiplying. And they're a threat. So he's got a nation really within a nation. And so Pharaoh decides, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not putting up with this. I'm going to make them my slaves. And so Pharaoh enslaves them to build his nation, his temples to gods they don't worship. And he builds this nation on the back of slave labor, Abraham's descendants. 
So they're no longer free, they're slaves. They make bricks in the hot sun. They build temples to gods they don't believe in. And they went from prospering people, they went from living the dream to being abused, being afraid, being used. And really think about it in the birth of every child, it's bittersweet. Because yes, it's your child, but you also know you've just provided another slave to Pharaoh. And so the Pharaoh becomes more abusive, more demanding. And all the stories these, these Hebrews had heard about, I, I thought we were, we were going to be multiplied. I thought we were going to have our own nation. All the promises that they heard that came from their forefathers of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph seemed to be like a myth. It seemed to be totally impossible. But the only God that they had ever heard of was the God of their forefathers that said this to us. We are from the line of Abraham. And they cried out to God. They said, God, help us. They prayed, God, hear us. Silence, no response, nothing. But the nation continued to multiply and to grow. And so they reached about 600,000 men. If you counted all of them, they were probably about 2 million. So for the Pharaoh, 600,000 men who are united, who are together, 2 million total. At any time, they could rise up. At any time, they could overthrow them. And Pharaoh's not going to put up with that. So in order to keep these people from multiplying, Pharaoh gives the command for the Hebrew midwives when a male child is born to kill that male child. Now, you might think that's just, uh, that's just evil, but we see it happening. Why? Well, really, it was Pharaoh being controlled by Satan. Satan, remember, remember what, who, who God said from the line of the woman would crush your head? Satan. He said it to him. Satan knows. So now he's trying to strategize to remove the one who would crush his head. He's now going after male children. That's not the first time that's happened. It's a strategy of the enemy. He's trying to work it so that that one won't ever touch him. So Pharaoh gives this command, well, in the midwives, instead of killing the Hebrew male boys, helps hide them. Well, Pharaoh finds out, ticks, he ticks them off. And so he made a decree that every baby boy born, Hebrew child born, is to immediately be thrown into the Nile and drown. But he does give a choice. The parents actually, if they chose, they can take their own child and throw their own child into the Nile. But if not, he'll send his own people to do it. For the Hebrews, things couldn't get any worse. I mean, they had, they had gone from being free, from prospering, to raising sheep, to multiplying, to now slave, beaten, hiding their sons hearing the cries of babies being torn from homes, and then that cry stopping as it got to the Nile River. For them, it was horrific and totally hopeless. So in the middle of this tragic story, there's this woman who's pregnant, and her name is Jochebed. And she's, she's been with child, but from the moment she was late, she started praying. Lord, God, 
Let it be a girl. Let it be a girl. She's pregnant for nine months, gives birth, and her worst fear is realized. It's a boy. So as she holds the baby boy to her breast, she's, plot, she's plotting now, how do I, what do I do to save the child? And she gets away with it for about three months, but then she realizes they're going to kill my baby. So she puts this child into the hands of a God that she hasn't even heard of. She makes him a little basket. She puts him in the Nile and puts him in the reeds. And he starts to float away. She couldn't watch. So she did ask Miriam, her daughter, eight-year-old daughter, to watch. So the baby floats over to this group of people who are bathing. It happens to be the princess of Egypt. Now Miriam is watching, eight years old. She sees her three-month-old baby boy come up to this group of people. She could, she could, she is, has to be prepared. She's about to see her baby brother drown. So the princess sees the baby instead of knocking it over and drowning the child. She says, I want this child. Well, one of her attendants says, you can't have this child. This is one of those Hebrew people. Your dad said to kill him. This is the boy. We got to kill him. She goes, I want this child. So something in her wanted to keep him. This is God orchestrating these circumstances. This is God working his plan from the beginning for your life. God's still working his plan for the, through, the, through the bloodline of Abraham. The purpose, is not, the purpose to bring forth the one who will crush the power of sin over mankind. To move us from slavery to sin to freedom. To heal our lives. That's what God's doing. And no matter how long you've walked with God, no matter, it, it, no matter if, if you have just walked with him just for a day or you've walked with him for many, many years, he has seen you. He's had a purpose for you. Why would he preserve Moses? Well, because later we're going to find Moses preserves the people, the bloodline. This is God's story to save you, to manifest his promise, those four promises in your life through his life. This is all for you. So back to the story. Miriam waits for the right time. She goes up to the attendant and says, oh, I, I see that you have a, a Hebrew boy. W would you like for me to get one of the Hebrew mothers to nurse the child? The princess says, yes. So Miriam runs back to Moses' mom, Jochebed, says, hey, listen, mom, mom, come, 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 quick, quick. They want you to nurse the boy. Didn't have a name, but now it's Moses. And so Moses' mother nurses him. She had to be praying over. She had to be telling him about his identity and the promise that she heard from Abraham or Isaac or Jacob and telling that, hey, one day we're going to have our own nation. And, hey, she probably told him one day, one of us, Joseph, his name was Joseph. He used to be second in command here. And he's telling him great stories. 
And when Moses came of age, he now was in the court, in Pharaoh's court, to serve. So Moses grows up an Egyptian. Now he is been adopted by the princess, so he's around royalty, he has influence, he's, he, he understands these things, but also something in him, he knew he was different. He was aware of his Hebrewness. In his 30s, he's, he's out walking around, and he sees a, an, an Egyptian slave driver beating the Hebrews. Well, something in him snaps. We don't know how it all went down, but he killed this Egyptian slave driver, and then he tried to hide it. Well, the next day, he, he, he walks, he's walking around again, and he sees these Hebrews who are fighting. And he says, guys, stop. No, no, don't do this. And they go, what, you're going to kill us just like you killed the Egyptian slave driver? So Moses knows, people know. Moses knows words traveling fast. Moses knows he broke the law. Now, if he would have killed a, a Hebrew, no problem, but he killed an Egyptian. And so he would either be thrown in the jail or he would be executed. So he runs, he runs to the desert. He leaves it all behind. He keeps going and he ends up at a city called Midian where he finds a wife and he works for his wife's father, his father-in-law. He becomes a shepherd and he just lives his life. His, in his mind, he's never going back. He ran away. He's done. He's over. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to live the simple life. So now he's been there for 40 years. He's been tending sheep for 40 years. 40 years. He's around 80 now. And as a shepherd, he knows every crook and nanny. He knows, he knows what cycle to go so the sheep can eat. He knows at this time of the day, there's gonna be shade. He knows at this over here, this is better grass during this season. He knows. So he's walking around. Nothing has ever surprised him that he's seen out there for 40 years. You kind of get it. But then one day there's a bush burning, which is not unusual. It's a desert, lightning, whatever. So there's a burning bush. It keeps burning and it keeps burning. And he goes, that's weird. So he goes over to look at it. Exodus 3 says, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up, so it wasn't being consumed. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So Moses gets a little closer, and the bush, a voice comes from it. And says, Moses, Moses. And Moses said in verse 5, here I am. And then the voice says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Hmm. The God of Jacob. What God was also saying is, I am the God of Abraham, meaning I'm bringing forth the one who will crush sin. These are, I have chosen these people. And your mama used to tell you about these men? I'm the God that promised that I would do things in your bloodline. 
And so the God of Jacob, at this point, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then it goes on to say that the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Now remember, 40 years, Moses, Moses remembers the misery of these people in Egypt. He knows. And God's heard their cry. I've heard them crying out because of the slave drivers. Remember that he killed one of. And I'm concerned about their suffering. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who who am I that I would go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you brought, them, brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, tell them I am who I am. I don't think that was very helpful, really. <laughs> this is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Why would God go through all of these incredible circumstances? Why would God shift all these different things? Why would God pick Moses? Why would God burn a bush and not consume it? Why would God speak from a bush to deliver this this people group that he chose? He's doing it because he's going to bring forth the one that Easter is all about. He's doing it so that you can have freedom. He's doing it because he said it would happen. He's doing it because he will crush the head of Satan and the power of sin over our lives. He's doing it because he has a plan for you. That's why he's doing it. Moses obeys God and he goes back to Egypt. He makes his way to Pharaoh. He tells him he needs to let God's people go and Pharaoh says, no, it's not happening. Then God sends plagues one after another, after another. And after each plague, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, how about now? Pharaoh says, no. And Pharaoh continues to harden his heart, to stiffen his neck and not let God's people go. The nation was devastated by these plagues. The water had turned to blood. It smelt and stunk like rotting frogs. They had bites all over them from the gnats and the lice. They had welts on them from the flies. Their livestock were dead. Boils on their bodies were oozing pus. Hail had destroyed all the crops. Then the locusts came in and ate whatever was left. Three days of darkness and still Pharaoh says no. So that brings us to the last plague. God through Moses, the final judgment, is every firstborn son in Egypt will die. So God's judgment is coming to Egypt. The Bible doesn't say that that judgment is only coming to some people. It's coming to all people. But God gives a solution so it wouldn't touch his people. God told the Israelites, you need to get an unblemished lamb and slaughter slaughter it at twilight. Take its blood, put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames, roast and eat the lamb along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And that night when judgment came, 
to Egypt. It came to the whole nation. Whoever had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, judgment passed over. That's why it's called Passover. And then, as we know, the children of Israel were released from bondage. They went from slavery to being free to become a nation. The night Jesus was betrayed, they're remembering all of this. And he says, now do this in remembrance of me. What is Jesus saying? What's the point of going through all that? What, Jesus, what are, you, what are you saying? Every year the Jewish people prepare for Passover. They get ready. Every year they get ready. They, they prepare. They get the lamb. They get, they get everything ready so that they can remember. Jesus said, now when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. What I have done, what I have made available to you. These four promises, Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to bring them and make them available to you. But as we know, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the, the, the lamb itself at Passover could, could accomplish nothing on its own. It didn't have power. It was about their obedience to obey God. Really what these things did, it was pointing to a greater reality. It was pointing towards God's ultimate provision that would come. When he would supply the one true Passover lamb, the sacrifice which would be his son, Jesus Christ. These were types and shadows of what is to be realized in the future. That's why Jesus said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me because I'm the lamb. More than 1,500 years after the Lord delivered the Israelites from Egypt, Jesus Christ prepares to celebrate his final Passover. The final one with his disciples. The lesson of Passover was the deliverance of judgment of God all from from the, the Hebrew people. But they can pick up these, these little hints. To be free from the judgment of God required the death of an innocent lamb, a substitute. So why this whole story today? Because I believe God wants you to prepare for Passover. Just like the Jewish people prepare for Passover, they get everything ready. Prepare for what? Prepare this season for God doing things in your life that you've never thought was possible. Jesus came to fulfill the promises that are made in this Passover. And to accomplish the promises, you need to receive them. You need to walk in them this Easter season. We are on a journey of receiving and getting everything that God has for us. And God wants you to drink deeply of these promises in your life over the next several weeks. But he wants you to prepare for it. And each one of these four statements, these four cups of wine that I mentioned in the beginning, when they would drink, they, 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 were, they were about something Jesus was going to do. God wants you to drink deeply this Easter season from the cup of sanctification, which is, I will bring you out from underneath the burden of Egyptians. This Easter season, God's inviting you to drink deeply again from the cup of sanctification, which means he called you and set you apart you have a purpose. 
You have a plan. You're not owned by anybody, you're owned by him. He has sanctified you. And he wants to quench your thirst this Easter season for purpose, for more of him. He wants to be that which quenches you from that cup that you drink from so you can fulfill why you were created. You can fulfill why he called you. You can finally receive everything he has for you. He wants you to drink deeply from the cup of deliverance that God will free you from being slaves to them. Listen, this Easter, God is inviting you to drink deeply from the cup of his deliverance, meaning you may be following Jesus, but there are areas of your life you're still acting like a slave. Not anymore, not this Easter. God's gonna deliver you. He's gonna break those chains off of your life. He's gonna break the chains of slavery, whether it's an addiction, it's a way of thinking, old habits, old struggles, the way that you, you just see life. He's gonna break those chains that were placed on you by your parents or placed on you by your mistakes or placed on you by betrayal or placed on you by, by divorce or placed on you because of some horrible decision you made or placed on you because, because of pain in your life and disappointment in your life and those chains, you are, you are a slave to them, not anymore. He's gonna break those chains this Easter. He wants you to drink deeply from the cup of deliverance. He wants you to drink deeply from the cup of redemption that I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. God is inviting you this Easter to drink from the cup of redemption of your past hurts, your past painful struggles, the past areas of weaknesses, your current struggle. Listen, he's going to redeem them what does that mean? He's going to use them for your good. So many times we're like, oh man, I just, just get those out of my life. God's like, hang on, I'm the God of redemption. I'm the God that, remember, that, that which the enemy meant for your harm, I'm going to redeem it and use it for my good and for your good. That's what redemption is. You have things in your life that you think, man, I'm so sick of this weakness. I'm, I'm tired of the way I process or I think and the anxiety. And these are weaknesses. These are thorns. And God's like, this Easter, you're going to drink deep from the cup of redemption. And that which you thought was going to hinder you, I'm going to use that and redeem it so it propels you forward. That's what he has for you. And he's, going to, he's inviting us to drink from the cup of praise, which I will take you and I will make you my own people. God's inviting you to see the weight of your sin for what it is and then give thanks and praise to God that he drank that cup for us. And he wants you to drink of it, to remember what he did. He wants you to understand that he chose you. He made you blameless. He adopted you as his child. He redeemed you. He forgave you of your sins. He lavished his grace upon you. He gave you an inheritance. He sealed you with his spirit. He said, drink deeply and remember that's who you are. Drink deeply. Remember that I have 
sanctified you, called you for a purpose. Drink deeply that I have delivered you. I've made the way for your deliverance. Now walk in it. I've made the way for the chains to be broken. I've made the way so that you can live a life and celebrate and give praise to God. This Easter, God wants to do something new in your life. This Easter, God is going to do something new in your life. We're not going to rush ahead to Easter. We're going to understand the significance of it over the, over the next few weeks. And you're going to walk into a new freedom, a new understanding, a new deliverance. You're going to drink from the cup of the love of God that reminds you that he's done this for you already. You were in the heart of God in the beginning. Every moment, every turn, every twist, every position every, was all about you. All about getting you to live these four promises out in your life. Let's get it done this Easter. Let's come into alignment with what God has for you. Stop living as a slave. Stop thinking that your identity is attached to what you were. Stop allowing your past to imprison you. You're not, you are not in prison of your past. God wants to set you free. And the areas that are hidden and secret and the areas of sin in our lives, enough is enough. Lord, we're going to surrender all these things to you. We're going to drink from your cup and you're going to make me brand new again, God. This is your Easter promise. God wants you to walk in it. And God is asking us as a church to prepare for it. Get ready. Start asking God, Lord, I want you to set me free. Just come to grips with what's going on in your life. Come to grips with your, your faults. Come to grips with your, your, your bitterness and your, the areas of, that have been darkened by pain and sin. And Listen, don't run from it. Prepare to receive the gift of the Lamb, the cup that you're going to drink from the cup that Jesus accomplished. He consumed it. Now when we drink of it, we remember what he's done. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word and your truth. Lord, I ask you that as we come to your holy scriptures over the next few weeks, that you would transform our lives. Lord, we need a transformation. Lord, we need to understand what Easter is really about. So God, today, we prepare. We begin to take inventory. We begin to humble ourselves. And we begin to lift our faith to believe I'm never going to be the same after this season. This church is never going to be the same after this season. God, this Easter, I pray that you would bring healing, restoration, that we would lift our eyes and put our faith in the work of the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of time to redeem my life. God, we're gonna remember that you have gone out of your way to orchestrate all things to bring the one 
who is going to shatter the chains of sin and shatter the filth of sin. And you're going to crush him in my life. And so, Lord, today we get ready, we prepare our hearts to receive all that you have for us. So, Lord, as we leave here today, I ask you that you would give us a sense of expectation, a sense of honesty, and a sense of excitement that we're going to finally live the life you called us to live from the beginning of time. And we're going to find that through Passover. Lord, we commit our lives to you today. and We thank you for who you are. If you're here today and you would say, I don't know Jesus. If I was to die today, I, I, I would go to hell. And if you want to know Jesus and you want to give your life to him, nobody's looking around, just raise your hand right now, right where you are. Just raise it up. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you raise your hand or even if you didn't and you want to give your life to Jesus today, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the prayer that we're about to pray, you will be saved. And we're all going to pray it together. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you live for me. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I give you my life today. I ask that you would forgive me and cleanse me and make me your own. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for serving me. Thank you for dying for me. I put my trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today. Amen. If you gave your life to Jesus today, I just want to ask you, just do me a huge favor. There's a card in front of you. You can just fill that out and you can drop it at the white bucket. Also, um, if you have any prayer requests, we would be honored to pray with you and for you and agree with you. You can write them on a prayer card and, and drop them off. You can also do that on our app because this Wednesday at 6.30, we're going to be praying. We're doing our 21 days of prayer to prepare our hearts for what God has for us this Easter. And so come and join us at 6.30 to 7.30, one hour. But fill out those prayer cards so that we can pray for you and we can see God move in your life. Let's all stand to our feet. And I'd be honored if you just let me bless you today. If you can, just lift your hands out of receiving from the Lord. Lord, I pray your blessing over every person here. God, I ask you that you would fill their lives with great expectation for what you're going to do through this Easter season. Lord, I pray that you would begin to unrattle and unlock the chains that bind all of us in some way. But Lord, today I pray that you would prosper your people, that you would cause them to be salt and light to wherever they are. God, I ask you that you would Give them favor in their jobs. Give them favor, God, wherever they are. God, I pray that you would bring their relationships with one another closer. Lord, I pray today that you would go before them, that you would open doors for them. Lord, I ask you that you would break every assignment of the enemy off of their life. God, I pray that you would remove every stronghold that's keeping them from moving forward. So, Lord, bless them. 
Encourage them today. Let them know how much you love them today. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. Let's give God one more hand today.